Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is my good friend and the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Christen. How you doing, brother? Gary, doing wonderful. Got the fresh mug of coffee going right now. Hot black coffee, nothing better. Hanging out. It's a beautiful Saturday. We're in June. It is time for recruiting. It's going to get wild here within the next month or so, at least from a football perspective. But once again, as I think is becoming the norm here, we're leading the show off with basketball once again. Uh, we are going to lead the show off with basketball, but that's something interesting I want to get into a little bit that we didn't talk about what mm-hmm. you just brought up. Maybe the, the recruiting aspect of things. Let's maybe table something else we were going to talk about later and get into that because i think that's some interesting stuff especially for you people love seeing what goes on behind the curtain with you beat writer folk Mm -hmm. so uh let's start out with blake henson um we kind of knew he was going to come back but now we definitely know he's going to come back and it's definitely a good thing especially given what we talked about last week with this front court and how it's shaping up, Blake's a big part of that. Him not coming back would have been not catastrophic, but it would have definitely put a dent into any hopes of returning to the postseason for Pitt. I mean, let's face it. The kid puts up 15 points a game. He could shoot it from the logo. He can do so many different things for any basketball team. And the impact that he had, in this resurgence of his career with Pitt last year is we can't understate and we can't undervalue how important Blake Henson was to the success of last year's Pitt basketball team. Now, conveniently for us, as we record this and and are live here on a Saturday morning, Blake Henson made an appearance on 93.7 The Fan with Pat Bostick, friend of the show. And he talked about the three main points of feedback that he received from NBA scouts throughout this whole testing process of him wanting to come back and maybe even him wanting to stay in, you know, he he's doing that for a reason. He's checking to see kind of where his game stands versus, you know, what NBA scouts think of it. And he told Bostic, you know, there are three main focal points that, uh, you know, he got for feedback. Number one, is being in better shape, which not to say Blake is not in good shape, 
but it's no secret that he didn't play for two seasons before last year playing at Pitt. And he wasn't in bad shape. He wasn't blowing up per se, right? You know, he right. wasn't looking gassed towards the end of games. But when you want to play in the NBA, you have to be at a certain uh, physically demanding level, right? You have to be at a certain level conditioning-wise as well. So that was number one. Number two, and this one probably stands out to me as the most important piece of feedback. You know, Blake Henson defensively is a good defender. He's not a, he's not the best defender. He's not a lockdown defender, but he's a good defender. He knows how to close out. He can hang out. He can hang kind of with the team's best wing. But so the specific word choice that Blake used was defending the opposing team's best player. Of course, he didn't really have to do that last year. So right. this year, now that it's basically basically going to be Dior Johnson, you know Federico, you're going to have you know Zach Austin in there. Zach Austin's a good defender, but is Blake Hinson going to be able to draw the best player on the opposing team in that matchup? Who's going to be that player for Pitt? And scouts told Henson they want to see some of that out of him this year. So that was intriguing to me as number two. And then number three was finishing at the rim. You know, Blake is an athletic wing. You know, he could shoot the three. We know that. But finishing at the rim, that was more Jamarius Burton's game. That was more Nike Sabandi's game. Having Blake Henson as somebody that could grow and develop into driving at the rim. And we go back to the, to the conversation we've had the last couple of weeks, Gary, about will this feedback alter Blake Henson's thinking and will it alter his style going into this coming season? I think these are three important pieces of feedback. And if Blake Henson's going to be, let's say an all ACC caliber player, like many of us think he can be with this year's pit team, he's going to have to do all three of those things. He's going to have to, you know, be in a little bit better shape. He's going to have to be able to guard the opposing team's best player. He's going to have to be able to finish at the rim better. So those three pieces of feedback that he noted that he got from this NBA draft combine process, I think is tremendous. I think it's important. And I think it's something to monitor as we head into not just the rest of the offseason, but once we start the next season. It's all great stuff. Good feedback. I appreciate everything that was said to him and everything he relayed. That's great. What does that do necessarily to your involvement in a college basketball team? Because a lot of their success last year came from them being a big family. Nobody was more important than anybody else. Everybody was as big a piece of the cog of this machine as the next guy. Jeff Capel could tap anybody on the shoulder and ask them to do anything, and they'd go out and try to do it. Now, Blake's not a troublemaker. He has not been that here. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's going to cause issues. But when you get told by NBA scouts, hey, we need to see you do X, Y, and Z for you to have a shot next year. And your coach maybe is like, yeah, but you kind of can't do that stuff, Blake. How does see, that work out, Corey? See, here's, I'm going to borrow Mike Tomlinism. Uh, the strength of the pack is the pack, right? Mike Tomlin has said that before. He's known to say a lot of those things. But that's one that I think really was employed by Pitt basketball last year. Right. When you look at like Jamarius Burton was the voice of that team. And then you follow it down to Nelly Cummings. And then you follow it down to Nike Sabandi. And then you follow it down to Greg Elliott. Notice that all four of those players that I just mentioned will not be here this year. So somebody has to step up and be the leader of the team and be the voice of the team and kind of be like the central point of energy for the team. You know, Blake, when I think about 
like the makeup of this year's team, and we brought this up before, he's going to have to be the Jamarius Burton this year in that regard. He was on a winning team. He knows what it's going to take to get to the NCAA tournament. He understands Jeff Capel's system and Jeff Capel's tendencies as a coach. You know, I think that's more valued in basketball than just about any other sport. And having that coach versus player camaraderie and that coach versus player chemistry. So when I think of a Blake Henson, no, I don't think, you know, getting all of this feedback is going to go directly to his head. But I do also think that there's going to be some individual components of the studying of the NBA combine and getting that feedback that he's going to be able to implement in spots. I'm not saying him going through this process is going to completely change him as a player because, quite frankly, it shouldn't. You know, there are NBA, right. there are players that get drafted to the NBA because they are fits for the NBA. There are players that do great in college basketball because they are fits for that team, that conference, that you know region, whatever it needs to be. So when you look at a Blake Hinson and how he impacts the 2023-24 Pitt basketball team, he's the main holdover from a winning culture. He's the main holdover from a winning team, from the winning place that was brought back to Pitt you know, with this with this run they made to the NCAA tournament. So, you know, thinking about guys like Dior Johnson and thinking about the incoming freshman and thinking about an Ish Leggett and a Zach Austin coming in from the transfer portal, you know, not to say that Federico or one of the twins or Will Jeffers or whoever it may be from last year could take those those reins of being a team leader and of kind of being that central beacon for everybody. But the most likely person to do it right now at least in my opinion, should be a Blake Henson. Just because of how coachable he is, how even-keeled he can be, he seems to have, I think Jeff Capel used this term about him last year, um, convenient amnesia was the term. Blake Henson has convenient amnesia when it comes to, okay, we had a bad game, let's move on. You know, he's able to rally in that kind of way for himself. Now, how is he able to take those qualities and rub it off with the rest of the team? Yeah, I love everything you said, and I think in the room, all that stuff applies on the court. I worry a little bit because Blake Henson is a very hot, cold player. I don't like when that's the emotional on-court leader. So hopefully there's something that he can um, do to help his consistency, I would think, more than necessarily how he's utilizing his skills. Yeah, and a lot of that's going to hinge on the developments of Dior Johnson of Federico and just about anybody else around him. You know, I think right. that once we see there, there might be a couple growing pains to go, go through in the beginning of the year, especially with a brand new backcourt. You know, when you look at Dior, combine it with an ish combine it with the Jalen low, combine it with a Carlton Carrington, combine it with probably another transfer. He has one open scholarship. I think it should be a transfer guard. So it's going to be a whole new backcourt, but that whole front court is also back. And also keep in mind with Blake coming back, this is going to enable Jeff Capel to play him at the three, to play him at the four, to play him yeah. at the four. In some situations, if they're going small ball, to play him at the five. If they're going big, he could play at the two. So he's got versatility. He's got the confidence to shoot the basketball. We all know that. So there's at least those components in there. You're right about him being streaky at times, and that's maybe the concern with him. But I think once you start to see guys like Dior Johnson and Jalen Lowe and the rest of the guards be a little more comfortable, that's going to allow Blake Henson to open up. And that might take some time as the season begins. 
All right. Hey, let's take a quick break because we got to. And then uh, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the NCAA as at large right now. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network, and it's time to talk a little bit about conference realignment, Corey. I'm seeing it everywhere. It's crazy. It's scheduled out. I mean, we know years where this stuff is happening and years where it isn't. It's almost affecting everyone. The SEC is gaining, what, Texas and um, some other team. Yeah, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. So, you know, the Big 12 is going to take a hit. We all know the Pac-12 already was dissolving into the Big 10. I mean, this is everything. Even the Atlantic 10 is changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, like Chicago Loyola is coming to that. I mean, like the only conference that I can see that's not gaining or losing anybody yet is the ACC. Um. What's going on here, man? Like, where is this all headed? Because it, it it can't just be a constant shuffle. And it feels to me like we're barreling towards either two or four super conferences and calling it a day. That's what it feels like, at, at least. And that seems to be the common sentiment shared between not just fans, but I think also people that are in the know of things. I tend to lean somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. Um. But when I think about the ACC, you know, what we learned a couple of weeks ago with this whole grant, you know, revisiting the grants of rights and having the quote unquote Magnificent Seven reviewing, essentially, how can they break this? Because there is a way out of it at a cool price of $120 million. But the caveat is with this grant of rights that was signed in 2016, essentially a 20 year deal that locks everybody in the ACC in to a media rights, you know, profit right. uh, sharing, if you will, with Disney ESPN through 2036. Even if a school leaves the conference before 2036, ESPN Disney still retain the media rights. So the profit's still going to be the same for those ACC schools. Now, is it short? Is it short sightedness from thinking about seven years ago? You know, there's still 13 years left on this thing. Is it short-sightedness from seven years ago to really say, okay, we're going to lock in for this long amount of time? And of course, along with that came comes benefits, right? There's the ACC right. Network, which I watch the ACC Network. It's one of my most watched channels. I'm not going to say, you know, otherwise. I think they do a fantastic job with programming. If you're a Pitt fan, you've probably seen there's a lot of good stuff on there for just about every school. And they tend to span the coverage out pretty equally. But it's not a matter of, they're losing money because they're not. 
they're making money. Schools are making money out of this deal. The issue is the Big Twelve, uh, the Big Twelve, the SEC, and the Big Ten are striking these huge deals. And quite frankly, the ACC schools are just falling behind in revenue compared to the big, especially the Big Ten, right, and the SEC. So that's where this whole magnificent seven grant of rights revisit comes from because schools want to make more money. I mean, who doesn't, right? Yeah. So where does that leave the ACC in terms of realignment? Why aren't the, why is it the ACC adding more teams? Why is it the ACC seeing teams leave? It's because of how rock solid this TV deal with Disney is. It's because of how rock solid these rights agreements are. And by the way, if the ACC really wanted to add a football team, you know, to help things out, Notre Dame's right there. However, Notre Dame is an independent, has been able to negotiate their TV stuff with, of course, NBC, Peacock, and we'll see that later when Pitt plays at Notre Dame, and that game's going to be televised on NBC and Peacock. So with the way that multimedia and the way that the consumer, us, watches sports, takes in sports, reviews sports, digital age, right? Of course, we're all seeing the, seeing the streaming platforms. I don't have cable. I don't know if you do, but I don't, you know, I stream everything. I'm, I subscribe to all these different things and, you know, it adds up to what less than a cable subscription would be, but that comes all with the evolution of these TV deals, you know, Paramount plus with, with CBS sports, you look at Peacock with NBC, you look at um, Fox sports and how they have their own streaming platform. Like that's how things are going nowadays. But the ACC doesn't have the ability to play into that field in 2023 because seven years ago they found it appropriate. And at the time it was reviewed as something kind of revolutionary because ACC network starts up. It's, it's coinciding with ESPN. It's, it's doing all this great stuff exclusively for the ACC, but the length of the deal is just so damn long. Yeah. And the, and the contract is so airtight that the ACC's just backed itself into a corner. There was a time, Corey, and you know you've been doing this a while, but the Big East was seen as indestructible. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was put together rock solid. They had a solid TV deal again. Um, it didn't seem like anybody was going anywhere. In fact, they were locking teams out. You know, like there was mm-hmm. no more additions coming. We didn't even want them. So Pitt's been in this situation before. And then when that dissolved, they were one of the first to jump ship. They were ready to go and they went to the ACC. It seems like they jumped right out of the frying pan and right into the fire. As far as this whole thing goes, I I guess what I'm saying is what's the likelihood that we actually get to the end of that 20 years because ESPN itself is shaky right now. You know, Disney is starting to, you know, cut, a lot of their programming, a lot of their alternative channels are starting to fall by the wayside because there's no cable providers for them anymore. Mm-hmm. They're, they're dropping employees left and right. Their coverage is, is suffering a little bit. You, you have to wonder the sustainability of the entire thing. But with that said, and keep in mind how much money the Big Ten is going to be making from their new deal and how much money the SEC is going to be making in their deal. What the ACC has going on with Disney right now is far less as far as money is concerned than what these other leagues are doing. 
So that's all to say, what motivation does ESPN have to get with the ACC and renegotiate and to redistribute money and to say, hey, we'll give you a little more cut because we understand market value, because we understand, you know, you need your cut. We you, You need your piece of the pie. We want to do good business here. The I mean, their incentive is, is that the teams stay relevant because stay re- stay well, relevant. the reason I say that is because as, as money continues to flow into those other schools, let's not pretend that that money isn't being used in the NIL game. You're absolutely right. right. So good players wind up at schools that have more money. Mm-hmm. It's just fact. I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything here that's controversial. Well, Eventually yeah, no. that money flows away from the ACC yeah well forget the nil let's let's even just go into facilities let's even just go into the overall treatment of the program let's let's go into how they you know kind of build around what they already have like no question more money is is good money for these programs right yeah and when you're but when you're espn and you bring to the table everything that you said right they're going through layoffs their their programming's changing you know you're seeing some of the streaming platforms like what incentive still does ESPN have to say, we'll give you more money. You know, we'll up this deal. We'll make this deal more profitable for you when ESPN's going through their own stuff. Yeah. So it's kind of a double-edged sword either way. You're correct in saying, why wouldn't ESPN do that? Because there is a good case for that. There's a good case to say, you know what? we'll throw you a little more profit. We'll, th- we'll, we'll up this deal. We'll make it more enticing for you to stay with us because let's face it. When Clemson's good, it's good for the ACC. When Pitt's good, it's good for the ACC basketball. When Duke's good, Carolina's good. Wake Forest is good. It's all good for the, when Pitt's good, it's good for the ACC. Yeah. This is like last year's basketball season. You know, when you look at as a perfect example, like, what were the best conferences in the AC or in the NCAA, right? Throughout the regular season, ACC fell to what fifth, even sixth in some discussions. But then you look at the NCAA tournament, and this happens almost every year. You see one ACC team in the Final Four or two ACC teams in the Elite Eight. Like it happens every season. And then in college football, Clemson will still show up and do well. Now it's North Carolina. Now it's Florida State. Now it's Pitt. Now it's, you know, look at half the conference and how good it is. So, like, the 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 whole, I think, mentality and discourse around the ACC as well is a little bit stained just from the, the perspective of it's not the Big Ten or it's not the SEC. So it has to be something else. Not that that's necessarily true or sure. 100% true or even partially true. But at the same time, perception can be reality. And the perception is that these Big Ten and SEC schools are doing so well because they have a bottomless bank account. And it's no secret that they did so well in these negotiations for these media rights. And the ACC locked itself in years ago and is now paying for it because the profit margins are just growing. And the sad thing is, Corey, everything we've discussed so far has been pretty much money and business and fans college athletics is i hate to break it to you but fans it's not it's not like i'm ignorant to it right but fans are always left behind when you talk about like texas leaving the big 12 and all of their established rivalries there i to me that would break my heart 
if I'm a Longhorns fan and I've been watching them play these certain matchups, all the, you know, I, I'm not anxious to give those up, <laughs> you know, Oklahoma yourself- and Oklahoma state. I'm sure they'll still find a way to play, but put yourself in these shoes as an example. Okay. You are living in Southern California. You are a USC graduate. You have spent your entire life on the West coast. You're a USC football diehard fan, right? You're used mm-hmm. to going to Arizona and Arizona State and Oregon and all these West Coast schools. How does a uh, noon kickoff in Piscataway, New Jersey against Rutgers sound in the middle of November? Or how does a 3.30 kickoff at Minneapolis in Minneapolis, Minnesota against Minnesota in December sound to you? I mean, that's right. the tr- that's the route that the Pac-12 schools, USC and UCLA, are doing with the Big Ten. Imagine sure. being a Southern California lifer, and you travel to see USC football. You're not going. You're not taking a a, a red eye to Piscataway, New Jersey. You're not going to land in right. Newark Airport on a Saturday morning to go watch USC versus Rutgers on a random Saturday in November. You're just not going to do it. And if I'm USC and I'm suddenly playing a much tougher schedule, I'm sorry, f Notre Dame. I don't care about that. That that little rivalry anymore i've got new ones now that's different though like that's that's history that's you know that's like dodgers yankees in my book so like dodgers, west yankees. virginia sure sure in a i way. mean like conference realignment takes this stuff off the table the big well, that's 12 why schedule, last year's back that's why last year's backyard brawl was such a huge deal too right the the big 12 schedule was too big for for west virginia to schedule pit mm-hmm. and and that's really why it was it, it wasn't the opposite and 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 you know the two the two athletic directors hated each other before Heather like came along. So like, mm-hmm. it just wasn't going to happen. But like you see those things all the time go away, and I just think it's bad for the game in general. Um, there's a lot that customers will swallow, but when you start taking away um, yearly moments of joy or yearly matchups that matter or Things like that, or you make it harder for people to access the game. You know, you have to right. ask a 75 year old man to learn how to download something and, yep. and stream. Been I there, think, done that. I, no, as have I. I mean, Corey, yeah. you know what I do on the side? I've, I've right. taught more than one 80 year old how to use Spotify. Yeah. You know, to listen to a podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, me. it's, it's the same parallel with the NFL. Like, and not to go too deep into this, but like it's it's why this is being criticized. The NFL potentially moving to London is being criticized. Yeah. Well, this Thursday night football flexing that recently happened over the last couple of weeks became such a huge deal because they have every right to up until 28 days until the game happens to say, you know what, we're going to change that game and make it Thursday night. Yep. So, for example, the Steelers, I believe it's, oh, could it be Tennessee? It's one of the Steelers' two Thursday night games falls in that window where NFL could flex it out. Now that's a benefit to play in Sunday instead of Thursday. Cause you have three extra days, to prepare rest, all that. But for the team that 28 days away could find out, Hey, you have to give up four work days there to prepare for this Thursday night game because we accidentally scheduled, I don't know, call it whatever two bad teams, Arizona and, Te- and Houston on this Thursday night. And now it's a bad football game. And now we got to move it out. Now those two good teams get screwed out of a whole week's worth of preparation, essentially. So like it, it's give and take with a lot of stuff. On the plus side, you're going to get, let's say it's 49ers Rams on Thursday night football. 
which is a better game objectively than Arizona-Houston. Same thing goes with these college programs. Like, objectively, watching USC versus Ohio State every year is home run stuff. But traveling from Ohio to Southern California, now, native Ohioan here, Ohio State is a tremendous fan base in Southern California, and they flock to the Rose Bowl. They do a fantastic job. College football fans will always travel. But having USC play at Ohio State and Ohio State playing at USC every other year, and then doing that, let's call it like, again, similar parallel. Let's say it's in the middle of December or middle of November, excuse me, and you have to go out to Columbus. If you live in Southern California your whole life, you're not going to want to do that. When you're in college football, you mean to tell me that Pitt, West Virginia was taken away for that long? And one of the main selling points, selling points for the backyard brawl last year had to be this game hadn't been played in 11 years. That's stupid. It's just, right. it doesn't, it's not good for the sport at all. So that goes to your point right there. Oh, it just feels like we got to take a break, but it just feels like North, South, East, West makes the most sense. Just get it done. Just give and take you know, with everything too. Enough, enough of this. Let's take another quick break. Let's come back and I'm going to put you on the spot. This is all about you. The Corey segment. Great. We are back to the H2P podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. And let's let's give you a little window into Corey, because I think it's incredibly interesting, his story getting here. You know, he, he covered some some mid-major college, you know, Bowling Green, teams like that. And when we first met, one of the first things you said to me was you, you really didn't like covering recruiting. It was difficult for you. It wasn't fun. Do you think it's going to be a little different for you at a at a bigger college now? You know, do you think maybe the recruiting will take on a different flavor for you? See, here's here's my basis on that, and I believe it or not, somebody in my live queues on Friday brought this up too. You know, what's your least favorite or your the thing that bothers you the most about covering college sports? Right, and, and my answer was recruiting because I understand how important it is, right. I understand how massive it is. I understand how big of a deal. And quite frankly, you, those that are listening, how much you or those that are listening care about recruiting and seeing who could be the next, right? There's a couple of things that to me, and this is from a reporter end and even from a fan perspective that I get lost with on recruiting. Number one, it comes from so many different angles, right? I mean, you have these, these poor coaches are out for months and months in their own off season recruiting. I saw Charlie Partridge when I was doing Steelers OTAs last week, he was on the field watching some practice and I was, you know, chatting up with him a little bit. And he had mentioned, he just got back from like a five week recruiting trip. And I'm like, so you were, you were gone basically the whole month of May and a little bit of April when your season got wrapped up and you had to do spring ball and everything like It's so much nowadays, and the NCAA is opening these windows for it to happen. But the sheer concept of, and look, this is just me, okay? I understand there are some great 
recruiting websites out there. There are some great people that I know personally and that are elsewhere too that cover recruiting so well. And I give them a whole ton of credit for it because it's just something that I find tedious. It's something that I find almost like damning in a way because let's face it. And I mentioned this in my live cues on Friday. Not every recruit is guaranteed to commit. Not every commit is guaranteed to play, especially nowadays with the transfer portal. Not every player is guaranteed to be good or even great at this level. And not every great player or even good player is guaranteed to be part of the 1% of 1% that make it to the pros. Right. So we are looking at an ocean of football players throughout the high school ranks worldwide nowadays. Right. I mean, Germany, Australia, Europe, you know, look everywhere, Africa, look everywhere for, for football players nowadays. So it's a global thing now. And at the end of the day, there's still a finite number of players that make it to a roster. There's an even more finite of play amount of players that play. And there's a this much of players, this little gap of players that are good. And there's this tiny little sliver of players that are great. So to me, trying to pick every little morsel of recruiting becomes just quite frankly, tiring. And it's just me. There are people again that do this amazingly that love it, but that's just my, that's just always been my standpoint on it. I get this point entirely. And I I relate it back to baseball. I I have to cover the prospects as well, especially when the the main team is bad. You have to talk prospects because that's what's going to help them at some point. But Somebody told me once, and it's just, I think, kind of makes what you were saying really come together. You could take every player that's ever set foot on a major league baseball field, put them in Yankee Stadium, and it wouldn't even be a sellout. Right now. Sure. The history of the game. So the the fact that you're telling me like a single A guy is coming up and starting in two years makes me laugh openly mm-hmm. and and recruiting on in the college um, ranks is no different you have no idea what any of these guys are going to do and the commitments don't really mean anything anymore mm-hmm. you know the the signing day when the kids are sitting there with their hats out in front of them yeah it doesn't matter anymore that guy could decommit <laughs> look at basketball look at basketball look at papa conte who just we spent a whole right. show on last week right signed with michigan really good college basketball program good coach and juan howard won it out got out of the nli signed his national letter of intent got out of it and now he's at pit yeah. like so how how much value is there in a visit how much value is there in a verbal commitment how much verb how much pardon my pardon my language how much value is there in a signing nowadays how much value is there in somebody going to the spring ball? How much value is there in somebody leaving their high school early to go play college football for a spring? How much value is there in players sitting on the bench for one or two years and then transferring up? Like how much value is there in, in, in all these little steps is how yeah. I look at it. How much and, value is there in, in somebody like you writing a story about getting that big signing only to watch them transfer to Pitt? So here's a, and you bring it to baseball and I covered minor league baseball for a number of years before I, I even thought of covering college sports. You know, baseball has always been my number one sport. It always will be my number one sport. I have a love for that sport like any other. And 
you, you've probably seen this viral video. I know those that are listening might have. You, have you seen the viral video of Jason Worth, former Phillies outfielder, like after he retired and he went on some sandlot, I don't know where it was, and just hit a 500-foot moonshot off of, you know, some Joe Blow that works in construction or whatever. Yeah. Like that is your Major League Baseball player compared to the average human being, right? When you're at the college level, right, there's also that quotient. There is, you know, look at any defensive lineman on the pit roster right now, okay? Whether it's day on Hayes or whether it's day one freshman, right? That day one freshman could line up against you or me and take us to absolute school, right? right? But that same player could line up against whoever it is from Clemson or Duke or pick an ACC school, and they'll have to fight with it. And they'll have to either win the battle, lose the battle. And quite frankly, there is a skill gap when it comes to all this stuff. So how much time do I want to devote to this player that may or may not be as advertised only for him to, lack of better words, stink? Or on the flip side, which a lot of people like to do, when they hammer these big recruits, they like to be the I told you so's of the world and say, I told you this kid was going to be good. And you see it with baseball all the time, too. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I used to do it with baseball. You know, Shane Bieber, perfect example. I covered Shane Bieber when he was in low A. I saw Shane Bieber when he was in AAA. I saw, I watched Shane Bieber throw a no hitter in AAA. And, you know, fourth round pick at a UC Santa Barbara, high draft pick for, for the Cleveland organization. I saw him grow as a pitcher. And I said, that kid's going to be an ace one day. Sure enough, I was right. But then I look at pitcher, you know, another pitcher, pitcher B, I won't use any names. And it's like, you're in the minor leagues. And it's like, that kid's going to be an ace someday. And then he flops and has a career seven ERA. Absolutely. That's the way it is, man. I just think it's an interesting uh, thing for you. I wanted to see if uh, moving to a a bigger school changed it at all. Sounds like not really, not so so much. So the difference with doing it, Covering the recruiting for a mid-major versus covering it for a power five. I'll, I'll get into that since you specifically mentioned that. Like for a mid-major, getting a three-star is massive. For a pit, getting a three-star is expected. There's a huge difference in, this, in the gap between all that. Group of five versus power five. You know, there's so much money and um, resources brought into the power five. And those are only so limited at the group of five level. So when Toledo or Bowling Green gets three-star quarterback or three-star cornerback or three-star offensive tackle, that's a way bigger deal than when Pitt gets the three-star quarterback, the three-star tackle, the three-star cornerback. So when it comes to covering mid-major recruiting and group of five recruiting versus power five recruiting, you tend to look at more of the finite stuff that could really make them stand out at that level. It's all, I would say, scaled to a way. Because when you come to play at Pitt, you have to compete with Clemson. When you play at Toledo or Bowling Green, you have to compete with Kent State, Miami of Ohio. No disrespect to those schools. But you have to compete with fellow group of five players that were probably really good in high school. But I say this about NFL draft. I say this all the time. The reason why group of five players are group of five players is because they're not good enough to be power five players. It's as simple as that. There is a, you know, if you look at the checklist of, let's take the quarterback position as an example. If you look at the checklist of what you want your prototypical power five quarterback to be, let's say there are 10 items that need to be checked off. A group of five quarterback might have six to seven of those checked off. 
Whereas the power five quarterback probably has eight, nine or 10 checked off. Like there's just a couple of things missing that separate player A that goes to the power five from player B that goes to the group of five. So for me, I had, I had a little bit of like my own little challenge of figuring out why was this player recruited to play group of five and not power five. Whereas conversely, now with Pitt, I'm looking at guys like Ty Diefenbach and I'm saying what makes him stand out as a potential power five quarterback, as opposed to him going to, let's say it's like, you know, Nevada or somewhere in the mountain West at a group of five or Boise state and playing there instead. So those are the challenges also that I look at and like kind of comparing the two levels um, as far as recruiting and as far as like prospects and projectability is concerned. Super interesting, man. I just thought it'd be pretty cool to get into it a little bit here in our off season. We can have and, we can uh, have an hour discussion about what goes on in my brain. I have a ton of stuff that I can. We sure can. I'll, I'll, I'll pick a week when you're only covering one sport, though. I put a Twitter poll out yesterday because I had some leftover pizza. I don't know if you saw this. I, I put a Twitter poll out yesterday because I had some leftover pizza in the fridge, right? Yeah. And I wanted to reheat it. Apparently, that was like the worst thing I could have done because I put a Twitter poll out. So everyone said, told you to use the air fryer, right? Everyone told me to use the air fryer. That So I put, you know, a pull up. What's the best way to reheat a slice of pizza? And I said, microwave, skillet, toaster oven or other, right? And I'm toaster oven guy, by the way. Okay. I like, I, I throw it in there. The, the, the crust gets crispy. Convection's inside. It's nice. It's nice. The skillet method works, you know, it does. Ever done that. You put the, you put, yep. you know, slice of pizza in the frying pan, crisp up the bottom. And then you throw a little, just couple splash of water in there, steam the cheese, put the lid on, steam the cheese, and then you get it out. And it's, it's good. I got killed, killed on the Twitter for number one, not including air fryer, which I didn't know quite frankly. I don't, I have an air fryer. I don't really use it that much. I got killed for not doing air fryer. And I got killed for even saying to reheat it in the first place. I understand. The, <laughs> listen, you look at me. I understand the power of cold pizza. Okay. You think I not understand the power of cold pizza by looking at me, but I wanted a hot slice of pizza for lunch. It's as simple as that. I got destroyed for not eating my pizza cold. So leave it at that. You know, I, you can't appease everyone. When you give A, B, C, and D, people will pick E. It just is how it works sometimes. Absolutely, man. Hey, but I don't, I think that's that's all we got this week, Corey. We should probably end the show before we get too long for our producers <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, right, you're man. right. You're right. We did run along today, but, it, you know, good discussion on the ACC and everything. Um, of course, subscriber podcasts are found, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, uh, find us on YouTube, DK Pittsburgh sports on pit. Uh, we greatly appreciate you subscribing and checking us out there. Plenty of stuff to come, of course, over the off season and as basketball and football heat up. So we'll be on it with recruiting this month. Obviously June's a huge month for it. So stay tuned and, uh, keep it, keep an eye out for a column coming later this day on Saturday about Blake Henson. So looking forward to writing that. Awesome. Hey, we end the show the same way every week. H two P. 